Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, politics have had a significant impact on agriculture research in Alberta. The government in that province changed hands with the new Democrats taking power in 2015, and then the new party, United Conservative Party, winning the election in 2019. It has been a stressful time for those involved in research. A new organization called Results Driven Agriculture Research or RDAR, has been given the responsibility of guiding Alberta's ag research priorities and to ensure they reflect the needs of farmers, ranchers and others in the industry. I'll speak with RDAR Board Chair Dr. David Chalik about this new entity and its role in promoting beneficial research for the ag sector. And prairie honey producers take a great deal of pride in their product, but fake honey showing up on store shelves is hurting their bottom line. Fake honey is being blamed for a dramatic drop in prices dating back to 2015, and it has been pushing the limits of beekeepers in Canada. In fact, prices were so low, producers weren't making enough money to even cover their costs. Tim Wendell of Wendell Honey Farms has felt that impact. Their operation includes sites in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Wendell will explain where this fake honey is coming from and how consumers can support this important industry in Canada. After the break, David Chalik. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Agriculture research in Alberta will be conducted through a new organization. With me is Dr. David Chalik, a veterinarian who has recently been appointed the board chair of the new entity called the Results Driven Agriculture Research, or RDAR as it's called. So Dave, first of all, explain how and why this organization was formed. It's been quite a journey, and it is certainly not a knee-jerk response, and uh, depending on how much time you've got. uh, What happened here, and uh, this is not a political statement, but it is a political reality. Um, The NDP had uh, won an election here back in 2015, and when that happened, uh, they wound down an organization that I had chaired, called the Alberta Livestock and Meat Agency, which was uh, looking after uh, research for uh, livestock sector. And at the same time, they had uh, reduced or cut off the funding to a a group called Asset F, which was on the crop side. And they rolled everything back into government, and they had set research priorities which in some part are important, but we're all about the environment and not so much about productivity or, or uh, genetics and, and the multi-things that have been announced as our focus. At any rate, producers and people in the egg sector became disaffected with that, and as we came to a new election, uh, the UCP party, uh, who have good support in rural Alberta, uh, came on with part of their platform to return research to producers. And they, that was part of their platform, and they campaigned on that and they won. Then Devin Dreesen was put in as Minister of Agriculture, and I had worked with Devin before in a famous Saskatchewan 
uh, federal ag minister, Jerry Ritz's office in, in Ottawa. And uh, Jerry had appointed me to be uh, the uh, chairman of the ministerial advisory board for the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. So I've known Devin for quite a while. But at any rate, when he became minister, then they had to deliver on their political processes, went through a number of consultations, I think 17 in total, around the province with various organizations and, and stakeholders. And the message was, yes, producers want to determine what the priorities are. We need to have research undertaken that actually moves the needle on our productivity, our, our, our growth, and the things that matter to us. And so they took that internally into the department and decided to set up an organization that would be a not-for-profit and arm's length from government, an entity that would be more nimble um, and responsive to producers and actually have the board and the board governance um, uh, primarily made up from the producer groups. And so at the end of March, uh, I got a call from Devin asking me if I would uh, uh, serve by being the interim chair, which I accepted. It was an exciting new rule. And he appointed, uh, I think, nine others from various sectors and regions of the province. Now, you've said this is going to be a farmer-driven organization with commodity groups represented on the board. So explain how farmers will have more of a say in the type of research that's conducted and how the board can assure that that's going to happen. Well, this gets into fairly complex governance. So uh, as we were setting up the bylaws for this stand-up organization, uh, in the bylaws, it states that we can have up to 12 directors, but seven of them must be uh, elected and be producers. And so now you have to take a step back and say, who are the members who own this organization per se? And we have, uh, you know, members that are uh, from the breeds and commissions, from uh, various associations that make up the members. And at the annual meeting, then there will be a slate of directors proposed that will have been presented to the membership for election. And we hope to have the election of the permanent board in about February 2021. Additionally, when we set up our governance structure, the minister uh, emphasized the need to listen, to consult, and to get input from producers. And when he proposed that we would have an advisory committee that would be made up of approximately 50 individuals, I almost choked because how do you manage 50 individuals? But I'm happy to say that we have done that very effectively. Now, that advisory committee is not a board committee. It has no uh, governance power, but it has a lot of influence. And it makes recommendations to a RDAR board uh, research committee. Then that research committee uh, makes presentations and recommendations to the board. So we are really listening to producers. They have 
two ways to influence and, and wield power, if you want to state that. One is by having the majority of board positions on the board, elected by they themselves, the members of this organization, as well as sitting on an advisory board that is meant to really deal with what are the priorities for the various industries. And, and this organization um, really is new and novel, at least for Alberta, because it embraces and combines crop research as well as livestock research. And what we are striving for is to have all the entities involved look at agriculture in a more holistic way as well as not just operating in, in silos. Dr. David Chalik is the interim chair of the new organization, Results Driven Agriculture Research in Alberta. Ardor has been described as a new approach, Dave, to agriculture research. So is there another model that's similar to this one anywhere else? I would say I wouldn't know of a, of a direct comparator. I know um, that there are some entities in, in some other countries that resemble this, but this is uh, quite a fresh approach and it takes courage on behalf of the government to deploy, you know, 37 million a year and, and deploy some of their power and influence, if you will, to a group that is uh, by mandate run by producers. And so uh, it's, it's quite novel in that way. And, and, you know, talk about our mandate. One of the first things we, we did as, a, as an organization setting up our governance, if you don't know what your mandate is or you don't define your mandate, then how can you, you know, move forward? And, and I don't know if you have our mandate statement, but it is to support results-driven agricultural research priorities and programs that will increase the competitiveness and profitability of Alberta's agricultural industry. And if it does it for Alberta, then it'll do it for Saskatchewan, you know, anything that's discovered here. And we will do research outside of the province of Alberta with organizations that have capabilities that either we don't have in Alberta or will be complementary. So, you know, the border isn't the border in that sense. So what are your timelines for starting research? Um, explain what will happen with research projects that are going on, because we know that some research could be conducted over the course of, say, two, three, or even five years. Uh, timelines are important and important to our minister. Uh, he wants to get things done. Of course, the funding will ensure that there are no gaps in the handoff, so programs are already underway will continue to be funded. Uh, but we hope to put out uh, a call for proposals within the next uh, seven to ten days uh, and make decisions on that by latter this year and award those, uh, uh, those contracts, if you will, or successful proposals uh, in early 2021. So that's, we want to be uh, fast-acting. We will... Uh, work also within the framework of there's a funding consortium here in Alberta that uh, 
uh, has some timelines as well, but we'll have a level of independence to get money out the door quickly. We can diversify our economies in, across the prairies and, and put more emphasis on agriculture. That's needed. And we need champions of agriculture. And uh, RDAR can be one of those. And you are by just doing these interviews and spreading the word. Results-Driven Agriculture Research Board Chair David Chalik. After the break, Tim Wendell of Wendell Honey Farm talks about fake honey and how it has been devastating to honey producers in Canada and what consumers can do to help. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. Tim Wendell is the president of Wendell Estate Honey and Wendell Honey Farms. And we're here to talk about a very serious issue for bee and honey producers, food fraud. It's often referred to as economic adulteration. So, Tim, how has this food fraud impacted bee producers or beekeepers? Well, it's such a concern because it, uh, let me go back, Um, prices had stabilized starting in about, 2011, 2012, they were moving up to the $2 a pound range, which in our industry was pretty pretty decent. We had been coming off a low previous to that, but it, uh, it put some money in our pocket and let us make some much needed um, improvements, changes, investment into our businesses. So the Price started to slide, I believe, in later 2015. It probably slid down to maybe in 15. We were getting in the neighborhood of two dollars or dollar ninety-five. Previous to that, we had been in the two, two ten, two fifteen, even two twenty at the at the peak time. And then honey started to slide in 15 slowly, and then by 16. I believe it was March or so of 2016 or February. The two-dollar honey that we, the honey that we were selling for two dollars, was now at a dollar ten. So you can imagine what that does to your bottom line. Our in the industry, and it depends on the individual, but it takes quite a bit of an investment as as does any commodity in agriculture to produce a crop you know to if you don't put in any investment in then your yield is not that good um so we figure that the cost our cost to produce a pound back then was probably a dollar sixty a dollar sixty five today it's likely getting closer to a dollar seventy to a dollar seventy five to produce a pound of honey. So you can imagine what a dollar ten, a dollar fifteen did to us at that time. I mean it just knocked the the slats out from underneath us. Tim, just so that we understand, could you just explain what fake honey is or isn't? It's not honey. That's what it is. It's not honey. For the most part, C three rice syrup produced for the most part in China and India. And as a C3 sugar, it's very difficult to detect. 
the C4 sugars, which would be your table sugar, your corn syrup, stuff like this is, is relatively, the testing for that is relatively straightforward and easy, which honey used to be adulterated with before. At one time, I don't know how far back we have to go, 15 years, um, you could adulterate your honey up to a, around... I think they said seven or eight percent before it was detectable, before the, the table sugar or corn syrup would be detectable in honey. Of course, testing has gotten a lot better since those days, but for some reason, the rice syrup was very difficult to detect. So it, people would do tests on it and not find it. So, uh, in fact, as a packer, if you went online or got a hold of these people, you could order the amount of fake honey that you wanted in your honey. So if you wanted 20% or, or 40% or 60% fake honey mixed in with the honey, then you could actually order that directly. And of course, you know, for the commercial industrial market, the 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 honey nut Cheerios, the barbecue sauce, anything else that contains honey usually contains sugar also. So the fact that they would have adulterated stuff really wouldn't matter in the industrial market because they only want honey so that they can use the word honey because they know that honey sells. When honey's on the label, people have a tendency to buy it over sugar. But with fake honey, you're not getting honey. You might be getting some honey, but you're actually getting basically sugar, or at least part of it is sugar. Now, could these products actually be dangerous for human consumption? I suppose they could be, but they're not viewed as that. I mean, not too many people are really allergic to sugar, but if you're you know, honey has certain um, properties. Honey can cause you to lose weight. Uh, honey does has a low glycemic index. But if you're taking honey and assume that you're getting honey and, in fact, you're getting sugar, then the reverse is actually true. The glycemic index is much higher, which means that after you had it, you want to eat some more. And instead of losing weight, and you don't lose a lot of weight from honey, but it has the, the potential to help reduce weight. But if there's sugar in it, it works just the opposite. You, you put on weight because that's what sugar does. I mean, sugar is, is, is not such a good product if you, if you have the time to look at some of the, the health concerns about sugar these days. Well, for people like me who love their honey uh, and we're purchasing it, what should consumers like me be watching for when we go to the grocery store to buy our honey? No, because the label's not going to tell you that it's not honey. But likely the best thing to look for is the price. If it's cheap, it's probably not real. And that's with anything. If you, you know, if you, if you go in the store and you see all this olive oil and there's olive oil for $20 and olive oil for $6, well, guess what? Probably the $6 olive oil doesn't have much olive oil in it. That's not necessarily always the case. Sometimes they flog the fake stuff. There's an article I just read about fake raspberries that came from China to Chile, 
were packaged in chili because chili has organic raspberries. So these raspberries were repacked, graded as organic, came to Canada. Most of them came to Canada as organic raspberries. In fact, they were raspberries that were not organic from China, and people started getting sick from them because there was some chemical on them that they weren't supposed to have. So in that case, they probably weren't cheap. And I'm sure it said organic raspberries on the label. So know your source, I guess. It's, it's, it's sad. I mean, there's, there's huge food fraud going on. Maple syrup, you know. That maple syrup's in the, another industry that has a lot of, a lot of adulteration and fake, fake stuff going into it. Okay, so you say know your source. So buying honey right from the producer is, is a good alternative then? Yes, that would be the best way to do it from the producer. I mean, there's some companies in Canada, and you could you could search them out pretty good. I mean, there was a time that that McCormick that has bought and runs Billy B brand, I they were having a a, a blend that had product of Canada and China on the label. And of course, if you have if you put China on the label, there's really no telling that it honey or not but the label should tell you unless they're really being dishonest and there's a you know there is some caution for being dishonest because recalls are very expensive so if they had a recall um they'd have to pull all their honey but i think mccormick and especially bee made in in western canada bee made uh packs only Authentic honey, as far as I know, I do ship them some of mine, but there's many producers that ship to Bee Made. And I believe that Bee Made would be a 100% Canadian product, yeah. unless, it's a, unless the label says otherwise. I can't even imagine how frustrating this has been for beekeepers. It's, it's a travesty, really. It's criminal. It's these few people, whatever, these handful of people have defrauded the public and uh, economically harmed an industry. And there's a real concern about the plight of bees in the world. And you know what? Without beekeepers, there's no bees. The beekeeper has become the endangered species here. And with it, the bees. Because without beekeepers, the bees in the wild won't survive. And a few hobbyists, well, they'll have some bees, but but you need you need commercial beekeepers to have any amount of bees. It's it's, it's huge this whole this whole fraud. But it looks like things are it looks like things are maybe turning the other way. So there's some there's some things going on. I think, especially in the U.S., to try to clean this whole thing up, and they need to continue. Tim Wendell is the president of Wendell Honey Farm and Wendell Estate Honey. It's time for the weekly agriculture news roundup for October 12, 2020. China is purchasing a lot of North American agricultural products. We found that out this week. That includes yellow peas, wheat, and barley from Canada. The numbers were even larger in the United States, $14.2 billion in agricultural sales to China in the 11 months between October 2019 and August 2020. 
2020. That's 52 percent more than the same period in 2018-19. The largest Chinese purchase has been U.S. soybeans. And while the overall total is still relatively small, U.S. wheat sales to China are 25 times higher than a year ago. Saskatoon plant scientists have developed a model to find lentil varieties best suited to the impact of climate change. Working with universities and organizations around the world, the team planted 324 lentil varieties in nine lentil production hotspots, including two in Saskatchewan and one in the United States. Plant scientist Kirsten Bett says the model can help predict which lines farmers should be looking at to do well in new regions and how they should work and whether they'll work. The Indigenous Agriculture and Food Systems Initiative, it was announced that $2.1 million would be made available for three community-led projects. The Indian Agricultural Program of Ontario will receive just under a million dollars to provide culturally relevant agricultural extension and business advisory services in Saskatchewan, British Columbia, Alberta and Ontario. The goal is to develop skills among First Nations communities in primary agriculture. Other projects include a pilot program growing traditional Indigenous plants and foods in a community garden as well as a year-round winterized greenhouse and also supporting Indigenous agritourism by promoting local products. The fall calf run moving into full gear with small price declines reported. Even with feed grain prices rising for both barley and corn, calf prices have not recorded sizable declines yet, according to Arnold Balicki, the chair of the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association. The Prairie Cereal Summit is taking a slightly different approach and actually will go ahead with its conference in Banff. The two-day event in December will take on a different format with two rooms for presenters and guests to maintain social distancing in order to comply with COVID guidelines and registration will be capped at a maximum of 150 people. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo highlighted World Food Day. She said it's important to make the public aware of those who suffer from hunger in the world and the action needed to ensure healthy diets. Bebo said Canada honours the many food heroes who continue to feed the world in the face of severe pressures from the COVID-19 pandemic. Every year, farmers and other volunteer organizations have growing projects through the Canadian Food Grain Bank. Labor and inputs are donated, and the proceeds from the crops go to Food Grain Banks and its activities in 35 countries. Saskatchewan Representative Rick Block said of the 33 growing projects, only two remain. Block said assistance continues to be needed for Syrian refugees in Lebanon and Jordan. Other countries in conflict receiving help include Venezuela, Yemen and South Sudan. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.